Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome. So glad to have you in the house, and welcome to those who are joining us this morning from your house. Hey, if you have a Bible handy this morning, I'm going to get you to turn with me to Luke chapter 22. So if you've got a Bible, whether paper or digital, I'm going to get you to turn there. As well, you can go online, thecrosspointchurch.ca, and uh, download our message notes if you want to have a look at those as well. Hey, I want to invite you this morning to start with a hypothetical question with me. Uh, Here it is. If Jesus was church shopping, what would Jesus be looking for? I know, it's a strange question, uh, but please humor me this morning. What would be on the top of the list for the church that Jesus would want to be part of? I mean, what would it be? I mean, would it be a kicking band, uh, inspiring teaching, clean bathrooms, tasty coffee, very important, uh, smoke, smoke machine, right? Uh, a spacious foyer, maybe dynamic kids uh, ministry, I'm not sure. What would it be that Jesus would be looking for if Jesus was church shopping? We're going to get back to that question in a minute, but let me just say that for those of you who are just joining us this week, we're in a second week of a teaching series. The teaching series is called Follow Me, and we're continuing to make our way through what we call the five marks of a disciple. So we are looking at the words and the works of Jesus to discover more about these five marks. And I also remind you that uh, those of you who joined us this morning, uh, we gave you a copy of our Disciples Life Inventory. For those of you online, you can get that uh, alongside the sermon notes when you go there at thecrosspointchurch.ca. But this is a tool that we've designed to help you explore each of these five marks of a disciple. And our hope is, of course, is that you will use this as a tool, because that's what it is. And it's intended to be a helpful tool, a good tool that's for you, that's going to help you reflect on your own spiritual journey, and hopefully it will help you align yourself and recalibrate your life to the purposes and the will that Jesus has for you. So um, I hope that you'll do that this week. You'll take some time, maybe later today, or maybe during your quiet time sometime during the week, but you'll walk through that and say, okay, Jesus, kind of where am I at, and what do you have for me, and, and, and how can I shape my life to reflect your life? So I hope that you'll do that. All right, back to the question. What do you think? Uh, if Jesus was church shopping, what would Jesus be looking for? What would be at the top of his list? Now, to be honest, all of the things that I listed, and I think you'll probably agree with me, uh, probably wouldn't be at the top of his list. And it's not like there's anything intrinsically wrong with any of those things that I listed, but I think what Jesus desires from his church goes far, far deeper. And it has more to do with the character of a people than it does with the quality of their programs. I like how Dallas Willard put it. He's passed away since uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, But he put it in his classic book about discipleship called The Great Omission. Here's what he says. He says, now, some might be shocked to hear that what the church, the disciples gathered, really needs is not more people, more money, better buildings or programs, more education or more prestige. Christ's gathered people, the church, has always been at its best when it had little or none of these. All it needs to fulfill Christ's purposes on earth is the quality of life he makes real in the life of his disciples. And of course, what Dallas Willard means by quality of life isn't sunning on a beach in Maui. What he means is the character of Jesus himself. 
What the church needs are disciples who live and love and look like Jesus. Which brings us to today's text, uh, which I think will help answer the question about Jesus and church shopping. Here we go. Uh, well, before we get into the text, <laughs> a little bit of background. Let me start there. Uh, what's happening here is, first of all, we're, this is going to describe an encounter that Jesus has with his disciples. And it's the night before Jesus is about to be crucified on the cross of Calvary. And, and Jesus tells his disciples that to get, get together, get some food, find a place, and they're going to celebrate Passover together. So they are in a room together in secrecy celebrating Passover. And at this time, Jesus once again shared with him that he would be going to the cross. And he did it in a special way this way, by, by teaching them about the cup and teaching them about the bread. He also announced that one of his disciples would betray him, which ended up in a whole lot of finger pointing and a big round of the blame game. So this is where we're at. This is where we're at in the story. And uh, let's, let's then get into the story. I'm going to read and I invite you to, to follow along with me. Luke chapter 22, verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, I, I'm sure that you've noticed the irony in this story. I mean, Jesus had just announced to his disciples his death. He had just pointed out that somebody was going to betray him. This was his last meal with his disciples, and here they were. They were bickering over who would get the keys to the kingdom. So, so it would be like a, like a family squabbling over their inheritance while their dying father is still in the room, okay? And what was it that they were arguing about? They're arguing about who would be the greatest. In other words, who, who's going to be the big kahuna? Who will be the next in line after Jesus? Now, as, as it turns out, this wasn't actually the first time that they had had this argument. This was not new. Uh, the gospel, the, all the gospel writers describe a number of different incidents that took place prior to this moment. If you, in fact, if you rewind the story in Luke chapter nine, to Luke chapter 9, the disciples went toe-to-toe -to -toe over this exact same question. Who was the greatest? In that moment, what Jesus did is he took a small child and he put the child on his knee. And then he told his disciples that, you know what, you guys, you need to become more like kids and less like rock stars. That it's the least among you who would be the greatest. So, so this wasn't a new lesson for the disciples. It wasn't something that they'd not heard before. And you'd think, right, you'd think that after all of this instruction that they would finally get it right. You know what I'm saying? Like, who does that? Like, who, who doesn't learn a lesson the first time? Like, what kind of a person continues to slip back into old habits? What kind of a person has to continue to learn things the hard way? And yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is called sarcasm. <laughs> because if it's true of them, it's true of me. And there's one thing I'm thankful for, is that the disciples were not perfect. And as a disciple, I too am not perfect. And I think that's true for you as well. So Jesus responds to their question with a comparison. 
And essentially, it's, it's a comparison of two orders, okay? On the one hand, he says, there's what's called the world empire, and on the other hand is what we could refer to as God's kingdom. And these two orders that Jesus is comparing are radically different from each other. So let's start with the world order. Jesus begins by describing two ways to greatness in the world order. So these ways to greatness, it's kind of like the status quo, way to the top. It's what people would normally expect in the world empire about how you rise above your peers. You'll notice in the text that Jesus talks about two pathways to greatness in the world order. He says that one of those is exercising lordship, and the other one is being a benefactor. See, the, the kings in those days, they weren't elected officials, right? They led through power and control. They exercised lordship over other people. This is what we might call positional leadership. They had leadership because they had a position, and that's all they needed. So I have this role because it's my job title. And because I have this job title, therefore you must obey me. So, so these leaders, they didn't lead through character. They didn't lead through principle. They, they didn't lead because of people's approval. They were just large and in charge. And to them, people were expendable. People were statistics. People were numbers. People were widgets in a great game of power. And they had the power, and they used the power, and they wanted more power. Now, a benefactor in that day was somebody who gave money to help either their community or to help an individual. And, and benefactors gained appearance, uh, gained influence in their culture by appearing generous. But the thing about it is that benefactors never did anything for free. In that day, benefactors uh, did things always with strings attached. So you were always obligated to your benefactor if they helped you. And they might expect something in return later, kind of like, you know, the Godfather in the Marlon Brando movies. So it was always tit for tat. You, you scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. And this is, was the way the world worked. Nobody does anything for free. Everybody's got an angle. And if you actually expected nothing in return for your generosity, that would just be plain weird. So you could summarize greatness in the world empire as power, money, status, and influence. Now what I've wondered about and I thought about is, has anything changed from the time of Jesus to the now? I mean, is the world in which we live in any different than Jesus' day? So to answer this question, I'm just going to throw some pictures up on the screen. And I want you to consider some questions. First of all, is this person great according to our standards? Second, what makes them great? And third, what is the source of their greatness? Now, just a disclaimer. The pictures I'm about to show you are not a moral indictment against the people. Neither are they a source of approval of the people I'm putting up. I'm simply putting up there for, for illustration purposes. Are they great? What's the source of their greatness? So let's start with the first guy. Who's this? Anyone? Who's this? No, it's not Forbes. Bill Gates. Yes, yes. Living proof that nerds will win in the end. Okay, next one. Who's that? Yeah, Kanye and Kim, or who I refer to as Beauty and the Beat. Okay, next one. Who are those guys? Trump and Putin. Yes, more living proof that you can have bad hair and still be in power. Number three, hit next one. All right, who's that? LeBron, yes, the new face of Space Jam. Totally ruined it for me. Okay, next one. A little harder. 
Jeff Bezos, I heard that during the pandemic, Amazon did really well. Last one. That's right. That's my doppelganger. Yes. <laughs> the Rock, Dwayne Johnson. I get that a lot. No, I don't. Okay. Um, great, not great. What's the source of greatness? Money, power, status, influence. And I don't know about you, but I seem to think that not much has changed today. We don't have a king. We don't have a Roman empire. We don't have a Roman emperor. But the pathway to greatness, even today, is not much different. But then Jesus comes about and he describes an entirely different order. Not the world empire, but Christ's kingdom. And in this order, greatness is defined differently. Notice what he said in verse 26. The greatest should become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Now you've got to understand, in, in that culture, the old were treated with the utmost of respect and the young were never taken seriously. Children in that culture were best kept out of sight, out of mind, and you didn't get respect until you were like a bajillion years old in that culture. But not only that, servants were at the bottom of the social hierarchy. They were the least important. They were the least honored. In, in, in fact, they were essentially invisible in that culture. But Jesus says in Christ's kingdom, to be great means to become like the youngest and to become like the servant. In other words, in Christ's kingdom, don't consider yourself as superior to others. Don't assume that you are entitled to anything or everything. Treat others as though they are your betters. Walk in humility before others, just as if you are younger than everybody else. Seek to serve others rather than to be served. And the point that Jesus is making is that greatness in God's kingdom isn't a race to the top. It's a race to the bottom. So as you can see, there is a radical difference between the culture of the world empire and the culture of Christ's kingdom. You know, you can see these two kinds of greatness contrasted in two of the most influential women of the 20th century. One was a British princess. The other was an Albanian nun. The first was Lady Diana. The other was Mother Teresa. And ironically, they died within a week of each other. One died in a luxury car. The other one died in a lonely convent. And each one of these women paints a picture of two different paths to cultural influence, to cultural greatness. I mean, Diana's life was marked with celebrity. She fell in love with the Prince of Wales. She was estranged by him. She responded to it still and was adored by the public for her poise and grace in that circumstance. She was beautiful and she was winsome and her heart captured our, our imaginations. She also used her influence to help reshape culture's thinking about AIDS and to ban the use of landmines. And so her horrible death was a tragedy to so many people across the world. Teresa's life was marked by service and not celebrity. She moved from her native Albania to the slums of Calcutta. She foregoing all of her privilege, all of her possessions. She dedicated her life to serving the untouchables on the streets of India, people who were dying, the outcasts. She had no money. She had no position of power. People referred to her as, as mother, but this had nothing to do with hierarchy and everything to do with relationship. She simply led from the bottom, and yet the world treated her with reverence and respect. What was the source of their influence? 
Some would say Diana had a title, but Teresa had a testimony. And yet there's something I think we need to consider about each of these two women. None of us will in any way ever have the influence of Princess Diana. We weren't born into nobility. We, we don't have her position. We don't have her celebrity influence. We will never take her place in greatness. But there is nothing stopping any of us from taking Mother Teresa's place. There are no barriers keeping us from taking up a life of servants, to downward mobility, a race to the bottom, to dedicate ourselves to helping the needy, the powerless, the outcast, and the poor. This kind of greatness is available to everyone, including to you. So to answer the previous question, if Jesus was church shopping, what would Jesus be looking for? I think he'd be looking for a community of servants. A community that just oozes servants, like a, like a squeezed sponge. A community of people who are a lot like Jesus. You see, Jesus was a servant. I mean, you, you read this in verse 27. What does it say? It says, but I am among you as one who serves. So Jesus points to himself. He says, hey, look at me. I, I am the ultimate, ultimate example of service. Now, what's interesting is, is Luke's gospel actually doesn't tell the whole story of what happens in this moment, but John's gospel does. John describes that just prior to this teaching by Jesus, he wrapped a towel around himself, just like a servant would in that day. He went from the disciple to disciple to disciple, and he washed their feet, which only the lowest of people in the room would actually do. And when he finished, here's what he said to his disciples from John's gospel. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Who was the greatest person in the room, right? It was Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet he stooped and he chose to humble himself and he served his disciples. You know, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus' entire life was marked by service. That he came into the world as a servant and he died as a servant. Friends, this is, this is the kind of church that Jesus is looking for. A church that reflects his image to a world that so desperately needs him. Now friends, this is, this is so incredibly important that I have to be super direct with us this morning. It's so important. A church is a community of disciples committed to serving one another. It is not a vendor of religious goods and services. It is not an event that you can show up at to get good music and hear inspiring preaching. The church doesn't exist to scratch my consumptive itch or to meet my demands of entitlement. Jesus wants his church to be a community of servants, full stop. Stamp it, stamp it, no erases. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. This is what he wants of us, a community of servants who serve one another and who serve the world. And Crosspoint, I just want to say, in this past year of COVID, I have witnessed this in you. I have seen this in so many ways. By the ways that you cared for people who were isolated or shut in. 
You made, gro- you made casseroles. You bought groceries. You called people. You Zoomed people. You wrote them notes and letters of encouragement. You sat on porches and blessed people. You had people in your backyard, and you just listened to them, and you comforted them. You sent skip the dishes. You made McDonald's runs. You gave people rides. You helped people to move. You prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed some more. Some of you gave up your day off to come into the building here and help us with projects. Some of you stepped up to serve in ministries during the darkest days of shutdown when we were short on volunteers. And you know what? You did it with a smile. You gave generously to community agencies that needed it, like Tegler, Mosaic Center. Hey, you even helped clean up Beverly. And I say all this this morning, Crosspoint, to say, I see greatness in you because I see Jesus in you. And may God receive the glory for all that he has done in us and through us. And I say to you this morning, let's do it some more. So, let me finish this morning by just sharing two final observations about service. To bring this home, to answer the so so what question of today's message. Here's two final observations. Number one, service begins with attitude that leads to action. Now, it's really important to understand that when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's not saying that they shouldn't lead. You know, as it turns out, one day the disciples would lead. That's what Jesus was preparing them for. He was raising these disciples who would one day become the apostles who would lead the New Testament church. So the issue isn't really, should I lead? The issue was more, why do you want to lead? What is fueling your leadership? What is driving you? Is it a desire to be like influential, powerful, or adored? Or is it a desire simply to help and to serve other people? And this is the heart of the matter. You see, service is first and foremost about attitude. It's about what motivates you. It's about what drives you. And you need to have the right attitude to serve. Without the right attitude, you might say, there is no altitude. Because service is hard when your heart is not in it. Here's what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, we can freely serve one another when our hearts are full of love. And you know what? Here's the thing about service. Service is hard. It's really hard when it's just fueled by obligation. And not only that, service gets poisoned when it's driven by self-promotion. But true service, Paul says, flows from love. That's the right attitude and the attitude that compelled Jesus. So how do you change the attitude of your hearts? How do you become a servant when you don't want to become a servant? Well, Jesus promised that he would give us a new heart. That when we surrender our lives to him, a supernatural work takes place, and he comes in and he begins to change us from the inside out. So when we receive Christ, and when we begin to press into his love, our hearts are transformed. So when you experience the height and the depth and the breadth of God's love for you, ultimately, it will change you. This is why Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 14. He says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Do you know today that Christ loves you? And I don't mean know about it, I mean really know it. Have you experienced it? Have you embraced it? Do you know that when Jesus spread out his arms on the cross of Calvary, he was reaching out to you that he might embrace you, that he had you in mind, 
that he did that for you because Jesus loves you. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. And there's nothing you have ever done to make him love you less. Do you know that today and have you received that for yourself? Because it's Christ's love when it's internalized, when it becomes a reality for us, that it transforms us so that we can then go forth and love and serve other people. It's from this new attitude that service flows like a river. Here's the second observation. I'll be short with this. Service has an abundance mindset and not a scarcity mindset. Let's look at 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You know, Peter says, listen, if God has given you something, don't hold on to it. In fact, it's not yours to keep. God gave it to you for a reason. He gave it to you to serve somebody else. And, and he, Peter even says that you are, you are, you are actually a, a steward of God's grace. You are not the owner. You know there's a difference between being a steward and being an owner? If you're a steward, that means that everything you have doesn't actually belong to you. It belongs to somebody else. But it's been entrusted to you to take care of it. So all that you have, everything that you have, belongs to Christ. Your money, your relationships, your, your possessions, your abilities, your time. You are a steward of God's grace. You don't own these things, but God does. And one day, God will ask each and every one of us to give an account of how we chose to use his stuff. So if God gives you something, you have two options. You can hold on to it, or you can give it away. You can keep it for yourself, or you can share it with others. Now, an abundance mindset, an abundance mindset is driven by faith. An abundant mindset ultimately believes God will provide, and if God provides, I know there's going to be more. That's an abundance mindset. But a scarcity mindset is driven by fear, not faith. It believes that, hey, everything is up to me, and it believes that God might be holding out on me, and therefore, we might run out of our stuff. That's a scarcity mindset. And the question is, in, in here, is, is Peter talking about an abundance mindset, or is he talking about a scarcity mindset? I think he's talking about an abundance mindset. Crosspoint, we are in a season of scarcity in the world. That's the thing about pandemics. Pandemics create scarcities. Scarcity of supplies, scarcity of relationships, scarcity of money, scarcity of freedoms. And history teaches us time and again that when there is a scarcity in the world, it triggers our fight and our flight mechanism. During a time of scarcity, some people will fight, okay? They will attack others and try and get what they want. During a time of scarcity, other people will flee. They will withdraw. They will protect themselves and their tribe. So it can lead to selfishness. It can lead to hoarding. It can lead to anger. And it's a very human pro uh, protective response. Friends, God has not called us to fight or to flee. He's called us to trust. And he invites us into an abundance mindset, not a scarcity mindset. Let me say to you this morning that this is when God's people should shine the brightest. Shouldn't Christ's kingdom be different 
than the world empire. A peculiar people during a pandemic. What would it be like if we practiced radical generosity? What would it be like if we stepped out in sacrificial service? Cross point, this is our time as the people of God. This is our hour. This is our season to step out in sacrificial service, to find creative and winsome ways to help other people who are in need. To stop hiding in shadows and, and let our light shine in the darkness. A candle coming out from under a bowl, a city on a hill. This is our time. And so this morning, I, I would just want to give you a chance to respond as we finish this morning. And I want you to consider two questions as we, as we reflect on what God has taught us in his word this morning. Number one, what is Jesus saying to you today? And number two, what are you willing to do about it? Let me give you an opportunity. We have so very few opportunities to have a time of quiet reflection, to speak to the Lord and have him speak to us. He's here, you know, and he's very near to us. And he promises when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. So let's just take two minutes and just presence ourselves in Christ and in his love and have a conversation. I'll give you a chance to do that for a couple of minutes and I'll close in prayer. servants to each other. We want to be a community of service. And so we call out to you, God, and we say that in and of ourselves, we cannot do this, but we need you to transform us, to change us from the inside out, that we might be more like you. So Lord, we lift up our hearts and our hands and our minds to you and we say, Lord, would you change us? Show us what it is you're asking us to do, that we might shine for your name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Thank you.
Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.